You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rural Advancement. This podcast is written by rural leaders and speaking to rural leaders. If you're listening to this and you're a rural pastor or a lay leader, or you taught Sunday school once in the last three years, or you're a deacon or just a congregation member in a small place doing the Lord's work, we're happy to give you the resources that are spoken by rural voices and spoken right into your ministry. And so um, as you tune in today, we are actually in the middle of a four-part series talking about discipleship. My name is Joe Epley, your host, but today we get to hear um, from voices as we're trying to do with this whole series here from different voices in the rural church who have spoken to the rural church or lived in that, you know, kind of ministry context. And so today uh, we get the immense privilege of talking to Alan Garrison. If you are um, in the Assemblies of God, you've probably heard his name as he has served in multiple roles, um, both pastoral and executive over the course of his long tenure in ministry. And so without further ado, I'm going to probably turn it over to him. First thing I want to say is hello out and how are you doing? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on today. I'm looking forward to our time together. Well, good. Well, hey, we're just going to jump right into the questions because we are excited to dig into what you have to say about discipleship. The first thing I want to ask is uh, you have had, obviously, a long tenure in ministry. And through that, maybe share with us, um, you know, some of your connection to the rural church, you know, whether that's previous experience, current experience. We'd love to hear, you know, how you connect to the rural church and why it matters so much to you. Well, you know, you always have to look at the background and the foundation first. I won't go into long detail, but my father was a high school dropout, started working in the oil fields of uh, Southeast Texas when he was just a, a young man, but became addicted to alcohol very early in life. And throughout the first part of his young adulthood, he became more and more dysfunctional. He didn't get married to mom till he was 30 years old. And he led her in kind of a decadent lifestyle. So uh, he didn't have, they didn't have children for seven years. Doctors said they wouldn't, they didn't think, but I was kind of a shock to their system when I was announced. So at the age of 37 years old, six months before I was born, my father trying to stop drinking because he felt like he couldn't be an effective father if he was in this state of his life because he was so dysfunctional. And he had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. It wasn't at an altar. It wasn't in a church. He was driving from a party where he had been drinking, but he had a powerful encounter. It's a, it's a longer story than I have time to tell. But the miracle is in one second, he was delivered from alcohol. He was radically changed and his life turned in a different direction. Within a few wow. months, through a series of supernatural miracles that just had to be God. They appointed my father pastor of a church before he had ever preached his first sermon. I mean, he was not trained. He'd never finished high school, never been to Bible college. But sometimes, you know, God takes the underqualified. Absolutely. Now I've spent most of my ministry trying to help people get credentials and, and study and all. And I think all that's important. But in a little town called Sour Lake, Texas, my dad started pastoring a church. It wasn't Assemblies of God. It was a little independent Pentecostal church. And he and mom stayed there 22 years. Oh, wow. So I, I grew up through my whole life in that context 
that church wouldn't see 80. On Sunday morning, we probably had 30. We never had 60 on Easter. (laughs) (laughs) Not even Easter, man. (laughs) My dad, you know, uh, he he died with Alzheimer's when he was 74 years old, but he was 12 years older than mom. So mom just uh, four years ago passed at the age of 96. And we went back to that little church to have her service where they had pastored for 22 years. And when I walked in, I saw the altar where I got saved. I saw the church sign. They've changed it. I saw the little piano that I played when I was a boy. I became the church pianist when I was about eight or nine years old. Somebody says, well, were you good? I said, nope, but I was all they had. And I was like, you're available. You know, that's about how it goes. So, so, I mean, dad says, you know, you're our pianist. I said, well, I only know one song. He goes, don't worry. We'll sing it every week. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my point is I, I have this sincere, and, and I'm not saying other people aren't sincere, but I sure, think sure. sincere, desperate uh, passion to help churches like I grew up in become churches of influence. So, so I know that there can be health even in a small context. And so that's kind of what's fueled my fire all these years. And even though after 18 years as an evangelist, I became a pastor at the age of 39. It was a larger church, but it was it was a it was a great church, but it had been stuck at a certain level for about 30 years. And I didn't know a lot about <laughs> sacerdotal duties and all that. I went to Bible college, but back then we didn't have a lot of internship. So so some of the things that that I have developed and our Acts 2 journey has developed, it's not just stuff we've read out of a book, but it's actually the journey that I've been on and how I have been able to translate that into different cultures. So where I am today is I believe that the template is right out of the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter two. And I believe that that particular template can bring us to a place of powerful encounter, anointed proclamation, and a process that works. And the thing that makes it so special to me is that it is scalable to any location and any size. It is biblically transferable. It is stylistically neutral and it is culturally relevant. And so that's where I am today. And I I, I just want to tell you, I so applaud you for reaching out and helping churches that will, will never be what we call mega churches, but they're going to be churches of impact in their community where they are. Yeah, and way to speak uh, such value into the lives of rural pastors and leaders. I know it's so easy to get the chip on your shoulder and say, well, I'm I'm forgotten and overlooked, you know, because you're in a corner of the world doing something somewhere with not a ton of people. And and uh, to speak the value you have is awesome, and and to to see the roots of that, you know, uh, how many rural churches began with with just your situation of a nine year old piano player and a pastor that got saved six months ago. You know, it's just how it works sometimes. But and it, you know, God can just take the underqualified and qualified. You know, He just makes exceptions sometimes. And so I tell people, you can do this. And you know, and some people think they're alone, but the the truth of the matter is, about thirty seven percent of the churches in the Assemblies of God are in towns of that are small, but but they have less than 50 on any given Sunday, 37% and 62 to, it it kind of varies to 66, about two thirds have less than a hundred and about 84% 
have less than 200. So, so the larger church may be driving our numbers, but the majority of churches are just like the ones that I'm talking to right now. That's awesome. Well, hey, I want to dig into more of your journey, you know, because obviously you mentioned Acts 2, and we will get to that because obviously it is a, a, I was able to study up on the project and it looks awesome. And I'm excited to give our leaders, you know, just a brief insight of that resource. But I want to maybe follow some of your journey because obviously you worked as an evangelist, as a pastor, and then uh, in the Assemblies of God Fellowship, we have, you know, uh, district superintendents, and then you were that for the state of Arkansas. And then you actually, uh, you know, kept going forward in those kind of roles and ended up as the assistant superintendent for the Assemblies of God Fellowship, which is a, a cool position to be able to speak on discipleship. And from what I understand, maybe that was part of your responsibility or role during that tenure. And so out of that season, what were some of the guiding principles that you feel like from your seat you got to see? And how do those, how can those guide rural pastors today? What was it you learned that you could pass on, you know? Well, you know, it's a huge subject, first of all. I, you're right. You're right. It's a, it's a brief treatment today, but you know. I was given oversight by our general superintendent over all church ministries. And so one of the first things I did in 2008, I had Lifeway Research come in and do a discipleship survey of all the Assemblies of God to try to get a feeling where we are. And of course, now in today's culture, the assistant <laughs> superintendent is doing the same thing. He just had a, not exactly, but on Bible engagement projects. So it's sure. been a subject. Um, and I, I don't mean to throw you a curveball here, Joe, but let, let me show for you. It. I wrote a book called 360 Disciple. And uh, the editors gave me five spiritual disciplines to write about. I mean, they're typical and they were good and they're necessary. Yeah. It's stuff like tithing, church attendance, sure. prayer, witness, you know, those things. One yeah. day I was looking at those five and I said, I think that I could do all five of those and not even be saved. Oh, really? I'm excited to dig into this one. <laughs> so let me just tell you. So I, I met a guy in, in, a, in, a, in another setting that I've been in that uh, we took about 12 years ago. They formed a discipleship commission in this group, and it's global in scope. And we took a blank sheet of paper and said, would you recognize a Pentecostal disciple if you saw one? So, so is there any difference? Is there anything that makes us different? So here, and, and, and I'll try to put it in brief because I know we don't have a lot of time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, in my book, uh, The Spirit Empowered Church, on chapter 13, you can get introduced to it right there. And here was here's the here's the crux of it. All my life, I've been taught that discipleship is comprised of Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. All Scripture is given for what teaching or doctrine. So there is a rational theology. So a disciple should know. So that's that doctrine piece. Yeah. It says for reproof and correction. That's what you're supposed to stop, what you're supposed to do. So that's a behavioral. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm tracking. So you have a rational theology and you have a behavioral theology. So the disciple will know, the disciple will do. Now, these are necessary. I, and I'm, I never would in any way speak in a pejorative way about those two. Sure. Yeah. That's necessary. But my question is, are they sufficient? Mm. There's where we got the issue. 
So if you go from the the half of the passage that I just quoted to this training for righteousness, we don't talk a lot about that. Yeah, and it's hard to define. It's hard to define a little bit, you know? So if you go into the Greek, that word training and that whole concept is about padia or padium, which is about family. It's about raising a child to maturity in the context of relationship. So we have this philosophy that we've developed as a part of this commission, that there is a forgotten purpose of truth, that as important as doctrine is, rational theology, it's more than what you know. As important as how you're supposed to act. Right. It's more than how you act. So you can know a lot and get puffed up. That's scripture. You can act a lot, work a lot, and get worn out. That's scripture. But this relational theology is a hermeneutic that says you're going to have to come into a state of progressive sanctification or discipleship that you cannot fully realize it without relationship and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So we created 40 spirit-empowered discipleship outcomes that you could not fully realize or accomplish without the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And Mm -hmm. if you get the book, Spirit Empowered Church, in the appendix, those 40 outlined right there for in four different sections of 10, the disciples journey. So um, it's a big subject, but I can tell you that the Holy Spirit is the one who activates. He is catalytic in this relationship. Now, you know that if you take a child away from touch and love and just give them food and shelter, you will raise a rebel. Yeah, yeah. But if you have this relationship, so I'm going to pull all of this around now and show you that the value that a church in rural America can bring to the whole process is the key of relationship. Mm. The key of relationship, because I don't want to be critical, but I, let me just I, I'm trying to make sure that nobody feels like I'm against yeah. anything. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to do, but we're focusing here for a purpose. When you say I'm, we're just a small church or we're just that you can do something that is very, very important in this relationship development. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of of proximity because uh, I was listening to a, a pair, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. I, yeah. So I was listening to uh, Kerry Newhall interview Gordon McDonald, who is in his eighties. He said, I stood at the front door of my mega church and shook hands with everybody that walked through that door going out from my service and the sermon I just preached I did not know one person's name. Wow. And what a contrast with the rural church and what a contrast with how that works. Isn't that my point? So you say we can't have thousands. No, but what you can do is value the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this generation is preoccupied with the paranormal. I mean, look at the Avenger movies, look at the superheroes, look at all of the ability. They know that these are mythological characters, but they also have this innate feeling that there's something out there that they don't possess. Well, we have that something. 
It's not yeah. a magic hammer. It's not a Spider-Man suit. It's not a car. It's not a special power. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and well, so, and, and this proximity you're talking about is, is what the real church can, I mean, that's, that's how it's going to get in their lives, right? I mean, it's exactly. not relationship and community. Exactly. exactly. Man. So you're strongly, I mean, you know, to pull out of that, I mean, you're, you're talking to real pastors and saying, hey, you've got your own superpower. It's the ability to live within, create and foster healthy community. And like, how can the Holy Spirit work through that? And like, that's exciting. So play to your strengths. Yeah, don't, absolutely. Don't, get, don't obsess over what you can't do, but play yeah. to your strengths and make that. And so then, you know, you have to decide how we're going to get our church moving from, uh, I mean, I'm, if we go to look at our pre-pandemic pace mm-hmm. of church closures, 3,000 churches will close in the next 10 years. Wow. So if that's true, we need to strengthen churches and get them healthy so they will not close. So that's what my passion is, is to get them to the place where they can reach health. And, and, and so we have a health calculator. Watch this now. It's, it's a health metric calculator that we can evaluate five spirit-empowered health factors that are not tied to money or to numbers. So we can help rural churches and churches that don't have thousands to come in on Sunday morning. And do we need, please, I'm not against the large church. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm saying we need to understand that together we're all in this and we have our part to play. And, And so we have to say to, to churches in rural America and to smaller churches, Hey, we know two things. We know that a church plateaus because of lost vision. Mm -hmm. And we know a church declines because of inward focus. So when you look at this preferential activity where, you know, we want what we want and we're not going to change. Anytime you start talking about casting vision, you're going to talk about the necessity of change. So why do people attend the church that you pastor? And I'm talking ubiquitous, not you. Sure, but- sure, sure. <laughs> I was about to be like, oh, no, I'm on the spot, man. I didn't, I didn't expect this today, you know. <laughs> they, they attend because of several things. Uh, they attend because of they love the place. You know, it may be the place that they got uh, married or the oh, place. Sure, yeah, and it's their kids and generations and things like that place you know like i had a lady when i started pastoring she was the oldest living charter member she said you guys can't move because the glory resides at 22nd and franklin that's where the <laughs> church was but then the second thing is they get attached to a personality sure or they get attached to a program you know well my kids love this and that or they get attached to friends and it doesn't matter what kind of church uh you want to have they, they want their friends but the And then sometimes they're attached to the church because of the position they hold. But the reason we should have this passion for our church is because of purpose. And when we need to realize what purpose can do for us, we realize then that it takes fresh vision and outward focus, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, and the willingness to become what God wants us to become. And so we have to start looking then at if we're going to change, are we going to change to what's merely important? Are we going to change to what is missionally critical? 
Awesome. And those are the questions we have to start asking ourselves and be honest about the answers. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying, because uh, one of the big pieces that we wanted to discuss today to bring our listeners up to speed is uh, something called the Acts 2 journey. It's uh, obviously your most recent venture in ministry and your long tenure. And uh, and some of these principles, when you've been mentioning it about plateauing and vision casting come right out of that. And so I don't want the, the listener to be unaware, but uh, but I do want to maybe, you know, for the last segment of our podcast here, definitely probe your brain a little bit more on that. What's Acts 2 based on? And like, uh, you know, let's say, how can it help, you know, these rural leaders and uh, which you mentioned a little, and then also how, you know, could they ever get in touch with you if they need it? You know, so let's take those three things, you know, where, where did it come from? What's it based on? How could it help? And, and how can they reach out and to get a hold of it? Well, you know, I, I gave kind of the outline the other, at the earlier part of this sure, sure. on the power. So we believe in an encounter. And, I, and I, I won't go into that much, but because we all know about Acts 2, 4. But then that Peter, yeah, the Holy Spirit, yeah. preach, he, he had this anointing, gave him this extraordinary ability. I mean, uh, he's not the choice I would have had. He just sure. denied the Lord not too many days before. Yeah. But so if you go look at the original language, when it says the Spirit of God gave them utterance, that's a word called apothingomai. When you look at he declared his message or lifted up his voice, that's the same word, same phrase. And it means spirit inspired speech. So the Mm -hmm. same anointing that gave them the capacity and the ability to speak in languages, about 15, as we can calculate, that they didn't know, gave him an anointing to speak in a language he did know. And that powerful message he preached resulted in 3000 people being saved and water baptized. So, if your church grew from 120 to 3,120 in one day, what would you do? Well, I oh, believe <laughs> Luke gave the outline in verses 42 through 47. Hmm. Anybody who reads that passage usually comes up with five functions, evangelism, discipleship, ministry or fellowship, and gift-oriented ministry, and worship. We call it connect, grow, serve, go, worship. So what we do in Acts 2 we try to help people understand the power and what it will produce, the anointing to preach a message, and then the process that gets us into a journey that will reveal the answers to 10 questions. And I'll run through them very quick. Absolutely. No, we're doing good. And this is great, great stuff. You know, I think for the rural church, this is awesome because you talked about community. And man, Acts 2, 43 through 47, if you haven't read it, like it's all about community of faith. It's all about that and development. So yeah, go on. I would love to hear more. So the first question that we ask is, why do we exist? And that's your mission. So we believe everybody has the same mission, whether you live in Baker or you live in Sour Lake or you live in wherever, you have the same mission. It's the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. So when you start going through the Great Commandment, loving God and loving others, then you get right back to that same so, I mean, all of this just, you think God had something in mind? I mean, you yeah, think he about must it. have, you know, <laughs> I, I guess he's, he knows what he's doing, you know. <laughs> yeah, he might, he might, you know, he just yeah. might. And then secondly, where are we going? So that's your vision. So, so we help a church really solidify their mission. We help them then create a unique expression of how God wants them to fulfill the mission. And it's unique to every community. So when we talk about mission and vision, when we get to vision, we believe it takes three things for that to develop. Number one, the passion of the leader. 
So you have the leadership, whether it's just a single pastor's there, or it's pastor's spouse, or maybe it's a group that's a team that's worked. That, that this is the passion. The second thing is what, what what's the capacity of the congregation? You know what what's the abilities? What can they do? And number three, what's the need of the community? So if you take the passion of the leader, you take the the needs of the community, blend it with the ability of the people, then you start seeing. What's going to cause us what I call pound the table and cry real tears? I mean, wow. what's what's our passion of how are we going to reach our community? How are we going to get outside the walls of our church? Number three is really now unique to who you are, and that's your behavioral system, your values. So everybody has a value system, whether they've stated them or not. But so we try to help them come up with values that they have come up with. So when we do an Acts 2 journey and we do it in a cohort system, we have a pastor, spouse, and we have a team. And we want the team working there. And then they 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 do the work. So I was in a I was in one journey I was leading out in California. There was a Vietnamese church, there was a, a Latino church, there was a Filipino church, there were several Anglo churches, there were there was a Nigerian church. So they're all diversity of ethnicity and culture, and yet they were listening and beginning to form their own journey, not just a copycat from somebody else. So we're not trying to replicate my church, we're trying to say, what's your church going to look like? So yeah. why do we exist? Where are we going? How are we going to behave? How are we going to get there? we got to have yeah. a plan. Yeah. And then we take these questions that are right out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. How are we going to reach new people? How are we going to engage the lost? That's evangelism. Then how are we going to treat them once they arrive? That's mm. our connect, our fellowship. How are you going to assimilate them? We got a, a, a whole document that's created for smaller churches called the Grow Track. I know a lot of people's got them, but we have one that's extremely Pentecostal and it's designed for churches under 400. And awesome. it gives, I mean, it's all there. I mean, and so you assess who you are by acts. A is your ability, C is your calling or your passion, T is your temperament, and S is your spiritual gift. So how we're going to engage new people, how we're going to treat them once they arrive, then your question that you started out with, how are we going to help them grow? So right. what kind of discipleship journey are we going to implement? How are we going to get them in a systematic study of God's word? Then how are we going to train them and release them to serve? Because we believe that there's three groups of people in every church. There's the consumer, there's the ministries, and then there's the missional people. And so we're wanting to move people on this journey from being an unbeliever to a believer, to a disciple, to a servant leader, to a reproducer. So it's all about, that's why we call it the Acts 2 journey. journey right. There's movement, yep. <laughs> how do we help them become missional? So if you're not going to reach the world and reach across the street, you're not going to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. And then how do we connect them with God? So these 10 questions, if you have adequate good answers to those 10 questions, we believe that you can become a church of impact and influence in your community, no matter where you are or what size. Yeah. And the coolest part is like, uh, yeah, none of, none of those questions I, I just love are, they're not contingent on numbers. They're not contingent on, co you know, community size. It's not saying, Hey, you have to hit these numerical benchmarks. And you and I both know, you know, uh, as is true of any, 
you know, demographic, the rural church is no exception where you're painted with a broad brush and they say, well, small town pastors are this and small town pastors are that. And it can also tend to be that we deal from a mentality of lack, you know, uh, rural churches sometimes feel like they go to conferences and are told what they don't have instead of, you know, emphasizing what they do have. And so I really love the empowerment that you're giving to churches and people when you say, hey, we're not interested in what's not there. You know, we're not we're not going to ask a church that has nobody passionate about, you know, I don't know, coffee or something to, to start a coffee house. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to look at a church with no construction ability and ask them to build homes, you know, but, but you're saying what is here and what can we work with? And I think that's so refreshing. We have one, empowering. Hey, Joe, we have one church when, when they begin to look at these questions and look at their abilities that somebody says, well, what can you do? What, what's your, you know, what is you, what are you known for yeah. in the community? And they say uh, funeral dinners, funeral dinners. Oh, the guy goes, my, our facilitator goes, He's thinking, what am I going to do with well, this? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, well, we can't well, kill people. That's off limits. So we can't really create your market for you. you know? but, but the fun part about this was that's exactly what they were good at. They were adjacent to a funeral home. And they said, our pastor is a great preacher, but he's really great at funerals. Wow. And we have the best cooks in town. So they made a connection with the, the person who ran the funeral home and they became uh, 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 kind of the go-to people. If somebody didn't have a minister, they had the minister. If somebody didn't have a place to have a dinner and to have, they provided all, and they created their evangelism strategy around funeral dinners. Wow. Honestly. <laughs> now, Man, now, how cool is that? The Holy Spirit's just moving and we're like, I would never. And yet here Nobody is, would ever come up with is, that. You know? <laughs> and what we help people do in our cohorts we, had, we usually deliver in four different retreats. And I, I mean, I'm doing this. We got we have over 100 weekends booked this year. Wow. And, and, and then we help them literally write a plan. And some people think, well, I can't be spirit led and be strategic. I can't be spontaneous and being strategic. I said, but God was a planner. He planned yeah. the redemption process before the foundation of the world. So, I mean, so, so we try to get, but we help them write a plan and create a document. I just came, I was in Florida last Saturday and we had a group of churches doing their plan. They get up and do an eight minute overview of their plan. They create a little booklet. And I mean, it's, it's phenomenal what churches that don't think they can produce anything can produce and, yeah. and certainly, instead of living from Saturday to Saturday, just, you know, preparing for Sunday to yeah, Sunday, yeah, yeah, for sure. they've got a whole strategy on how they're going to reach their community Man. and how they're going to get outside the walls of their, and they, and they get excited. In fact, I, I, I was looking for one here and I, I, I misplaced it. I should have had it. Well, that's uh, okay. We're running, we're running a little short on time, but, uh, but, but I mean, the point is, it, it was in a town of 350 people. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It was a church of 61. And they created this two-year plan. It's amazing. Absolutely. And honestly, uh, what I can tell is two things. One, this is a worthwhile journey for anyone to go on. And two, you could probably talk about it for a while. You know, it's exciting the way, what God's doing. And so uh, last two things um, with just a couple minutes left. One, where could someone find this material if they want it? Acts 2 journey.com but yes the number two journey.com and we are just finishing a whole video series that if they're in kind of some isolated area they can get all of this the answers to all the questions 
and all the handouts. They can, they can take their own church on this journey. And uh, we're just about done with that. So acts2journey.com. Awesome. And then uh, last question, I like to ask it, it's kind of a zoom out from anything you're working on currently. But if you if you look back, you know, over the course of your tenure of ministry, what's a nugget of wisdom that you you kind of have that you think could encourage a rural pastor? You know, just uh, I always want to be conscious that some of our listeners could be in a hard season. I mean, rural ministry has its unique challenges. But what uh, what's what's something you could say that would encourage them just from your your place of, of again, having that experience and that breadth? Well, there's so many answers that you could give. You know, you got to talk about the spiritual and the character. And and I, I'm, I'm not de-emphasizing that. But I, Absolutely. I, I think that probably if I could challenge ministers, particularly in rural America, I would say, and I know this is not revolutionary, don't underestimate the value of the relationship. Mm. Go out there if you're the pastor, find the place where they're having coffee on in the morning early, go out and get on the tractor with somebody. Mm. I tell them you need a little cow poop on your boots. (laughs) (laughs) If that is not the most rural piece of advice I've ever heard, that's a good one. Honestly, thank you, Pastor. But I'm saying, Joe, I'm serious. And I know that sounds so, but, but you just don't understand the value that rural America puts on relationships. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thank you. This has been a delightful time today. And obviously there's stuff we could chew on for, man, a while. And I'm so excited for people to check out the Acts 2 journey and uh, become familiar with that ministry. But uh, to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Pastor Alton, for sharing. And uh, we'll see you next time. 